In short, any problem that I've ever had, drinking was pretty much involved. Didn't have a care in the world. And then, you know, found opiates. I think I really just had fear of getting sober. I think that was my, like, I didn't know how to live any other way. Drugs and alcohol were my solution. Good evening and welcome to Addiction Talk powered by American Addiction Centers. We are so happy that you joined us on this evening for a very powerful conversation. We started Addiction Talk to share the stories of those impacted by addiction and mental health. And tonight we have a very special guest. And first, we want to share with you his story. Take a listen. The doctors classified me with Hanhart syndrome. Are you ready to tell us the impossible? Welcome back to Max Out with Ed Milet. This man to my left, I think, is one of the most inspiring people on planet Earth today. Welcome to Beijing. At the time of my birth, I was the 12th baby in medical history that they've ever seen this happen to. And out of the 12, eight of them have passed away due to undeveloped organs. Like any other 12-year-old, Nick Santanastasso enjoys football, skateboarding, and playing video games. And while these may sound like simple everyday activities, for Nick, they are anything but. He is one boy who defies the odds. It's not about how many times we fall down. It's about how many times we get up and keep moving forward. And an unbelievable public speaker, for the record, that you're going to hear about in a minute. But this is Nick Santanastasso. Have you ever felt... Like you're invisible. Have you ever felt like you weren't good enough? Raise your hand if at least one time in your life you said, why me? Look around the room. It's everywhere. We all get a taste of that victim mentality. Why me? Why do I have to be born like this? Why do I have to be born with no legs and one arm? Why do the kids have to make fun of me? Why do I have to go through these challenges? What I've realized over the 23 years of my life, it's not the physical body that holds us back, but it's the mindset. The biggest disability you can have is a bad mindset. Wow, a Nick. <laughs> that is such a powerful story just to see, you know, your life and what you're doing. And we wanted to have you on Addiction T Talk as our very first guest, just because your story of resiliency and overcoming in spite of the odds is so inspirational. So welcome to the show tonight. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity um, to share some light and to share some perspective today. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first, I just want to get into a little more of your story and how you have been impacted by addiction, because there's so many people right now across the country and who are even listening tonight that addiction has touched them personally. And I know for your family that addiction has been very personal. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So where this all started for me, I was I was 18 or I was 18 or 19 years old. And um, my brother was my hero. Um, when I was younger, my brother used to practice wrestling moves on me because he was a stud wrestler. And I wanted to be just like my brother. It's one of the very reasons why I started wrestling. And so when I graduated high school, I moved to LA because I had an opportunity to be on a TV show. And so I moved to LA and everything's going great. And 
I get a random call from my brother and you know, he, he I pick up the phone. He says, Hey bro, I, I need you to come home. And I said, why? And he said, well, no one knows. Um, but I'm addicted to, to I'm addicted to heroin and I can't get off of it. And so he kind of, you know, that was a weight on my shoulders. And I felt as if I was always the glue of the family, you know, I'm the lighthouse, I'm the glue of the family. And so I, I felt like I needed to go back home. I needed to see my brother. And so that was where it initially started. But at that point, my brother only shared that with me and my brother-in-law, you know, my parents didn't know, my sisters didn't know. And I'm an 18 year old kid. I don't really even know what to do, but at least I'm there in proximity. And so that was the start of me realizing that he was struggling with addiction. And how did your family, I know you being the one having that responsibility at 18, not very many people knew. What did you know about addiction at the time? Were you shocked thinking, how could this be my brother or how could this be happening to him? Yeah. So I, I was, yeah, I was blown away. Right. Because me, I wasn't involved in anything um, in that, in that area or that arena. I didn't do anything, you know, any drugs or anything. And so for me, I, I asked my brother-in-law because he was older than me. I'm like, well, what do we do? And he's like, well, um, I think we have to tell your parents or I think we have to tell someone so he can get help. Because if you don't voice out, if you don't voice out what you're going through and your struggles, people can only help, can only help so much. Right. And so I think for us, it was coming back and realizing like, what is the approach that we're going to take? And we're talking about stigma too. I don't think he wanted to even come out because he was a Marine. You know, he was a Marine. He was tough. He came out of, he came, he came out of boot camp. Like he was the man, you know? And so I think that, especially as a man, that kind of like dims your ego or dims your self image and you don't want to show weakness. So you don't want to show that you need help. And a lot of the times that's all you really need to do is ask for help. Um, and so I think the plan was to see how do we go about this and how do we tell our parents? Because to, to be fully transparent, it's like I can tell my parents, but am I ratting on my brother? Right. Because okay. then you have you have, then you have that dynamic. Yeah. It's like, am I throwing my brother under the bus? But is it for his best interest? You know, so it's it's a very touchy subject. And so what did you decide to do in that moment, knowing that your brother's telling you, which is pretty serious, you probably realized that at 18 that he's saying that he's struggling with heroin or opioids. And you're like, OK, do I tell my brother, tell him my brother and tell my parents, knowing that this could be serious. So what did you ultimately decide to do? Yeah. So my journey and and a lot of people can probably relate to this. And, and just to be fully transparent, like my journey wasn't the best journey in dealing with this. So just being fully transparent on that. And so um, I knew for me that one of the things that I could do for my brother was just to be there. Um, whether that was in the form of presence, whether that was the form of conversation, whether that was the form of advice, whatever it may be, I wanted to be there. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I learned is that when my brother, and I know you're listening to me, but when my brother was on that stuff, he wasn't my brother. And that was a different human. And I needed to accept that because someone who's on specific drugs is going to make decisions or actions that don't align with who they were when they're sober. And so one of the ways that my brother knew that I could help was financially. And so, you know, it started with, Hey, like, I just need, I, I just need this amount of money so I can go do this or, Hey, I'm starting a new company or I need this. Can you do this? And what I've noticed was that every time that I gave money, it wasn't spent on what I thought it was going to be spent on. Mm -hmm. um, and I also realized that, um, yeah, it, his intent wasn't good. And so there was a moment for me that there were specific ways that I supported my brother that I needed to cut off. And that was extremely hard for me. 
Um, and so financially, I was like, listen, I can't help you anymore. I can't help you anymore. I can't do this because you, you, you know, you've robbed me multiple times. I know it's not you. I know it's not you in there, um, but I cannot help you in this way. And so I, I created healthy boundaries, which I thought that was the best way to do it. You know, like the parents now know the parent, my, my parents then knew um, everybody really knew. And I kind of let my, my parents take that responsibility on in the sense of like, Hey, get him into rehab. You know, you have that hard conversation and do what you need to do. I'll be there for advice. I have a lot of wisdom up here and I know what I'm doing with life. And so I'll always be there. And that was the, that's the, one of the things that makes me feel um, at peace is because at the end of the day, regardless of what happens, I knew I was there for him in any which way he needed me. And that was, that was my, my, way of doing my part um, when other things were out of my control, to be honest. Well, you know, I think that is just so touching about how you were there for your brother. And, you know, I know this is difficult to even talk about because as we were talking before we started the broadcast, your brother passed away in April, ultimately from a drug overdose. So I know just even being able to share right now is, um, you know, we're just touched that you're able to share because there's so many families who are struggling and are right where you are and even just trying to process their family member having an addiction, you know, or, or even themselves and saying, well, this isn't me, this isn't who I, I really want to be. And so as you look back over everything that your family experienced and what your brother went through, if there was another family dealing with that right now, what would you say to them? Was there something that you wish someone had said to you and your family? Yeah. I mean, I'll be fully transparent. You know, like my, my dad is just like me and he'll go to the end of the earth to help someone, especially his son. And that was also one thing that I could never understand was that father son bond, meaning my dad couldn't give up on him. And so in some ways that I had boundaries, my dad's like, no, I need to be there because I'm his father. I'll always be his father. And so um, my dad went to the end of the earth and, and, you know, my brother was in and out of rehabs for that amount of time. You know, he would he would do really amazing. You know, he would be sober for six, seven months. And then I think to be fully transparent for everyone listening, I think it was the environment. Mm -hmm. he, he, I don't think he had, I don't want to say I don't think he had, but there wasn't strength to change his environment or to really take massive um, action to cut everything off. And I think that's extremely important because you are who you surround yourself with and you are who you hang around with and especially your environment. And where I'm from, it's, it's Bayville, New Jersey. Ocean County, New Jersey was one of the highest hotspots for heroin. I mean, it, it, it was everywhere. And so I think for the, for the people out there that going through something similar, um, one, realize that that person, when they're on drugs, that's not them. So when they hurt you, it's, you, you got to let it go because it's really not them. Try to hold on to the memory of who they were sober. Um, another thing is environment's key. You know, and I think for my brother, he just caught, got caught up in the wrong environment. And then he was stuck in that environment, whether it, it was a girlfriend, whether it was a friend, whether it was a business partner. I know what it was. Um, but I think if my brother was able to really extract himself from the environment and get somewhere where he's isolated and to, time to focus on himself, that things may would have been different. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, someone and I'm just saying this openly, someone who doesn't want to change is not going to change. Mm. And that was extremely hard for me to accept because here I am, I'm Nick Santanastasso. I change lives. I'm, I'm on a world tour. Yeah, I help people show. break through and I can't help my own brother. 
Wow. Why can't I get through to him? And so that weighed on me because I'm like, dude, come on, you help everyone, like help your brother. But I had to let that go because I'm like, Nick, you did what you did. You did what you could. You were always there. And so I think for families, it's, I know it's tough to say, but have some compassion. Have some compassion because the demon that they're facing is something that we don't understand unless we actually were addicted to something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then all you can do is exercise your resources get them attempt to get them in the right places. But remember, it's, you know, it's like that quote, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't force the horse to drink. And I don't want people like, if you're listening right now and you feel like me, where you say, man, I get through a lot of people, but I can't get through this person. Do what you can. So you're at peace because at least, you know, when you put your head on the pillow that you did your part, right? Because be fully transparent, maybe, and I'm just speaking openly, maybe after the passing away, some family members, felt regret because they didn't talk enough or they didn't communicate enough or they held a grudge. When we hold grudges, when we hold anger, when we hold negative emotions towards people, who's really losing? Yes. Ourselves. It's like, it's toxic for us. And so I know it's hard and trust me, I've been there. I've been robbed. I've been stolen from, from my own, from, and, and, and not to make them look like a certain way, but this is the things that people go through addiction. I've been through it all. But I always try to come from compassion and understand their world. And when you put yourself in their shoes, you realize that they're trying to fight something that is just like really damn hard to fight. And it's just not them. And so I hope that helped. I know I'm babbling a little bit. No, I mean, Nick, what you shared is so powerful. I know we have a picture of your brother um, that we wanted to share with everyone just in memory of him. But, you know, he was a special guy. And you said addiction takes over a person's life. And they are somebody that they're not or who they don't want to even be. And I think a lot of people don't realize that addiction is a disease. And I think that's why we have to have the conversations that we're having with you tonight, Nick, just to share with people that this is a disease and people are battling this and the things that they do are not them. And that getting them into treatment, like you said, at American Addiction Centers, we see people come, you know, we're helping thousands of people every month coming into treatment but they have to take those tools that they learn when they go back out. And one of the big things is how do you handle the environment that you're in? How do you, you know, deal with that when you go back into those environments? And I think surrounding yourself with the right people is so, so critical. And I think, you know, what you've done for your brother is commendable because you gave everything that you could to help him and you were there. And like you said, you don't have any regrets. Yeah. And, and what's, what's extremely like, what's extremely important to spotlight is like my brother, listen, my brother was a stud, you know, he was amazing and he was an entrepreneur. He liked to do things. He didn't like to be hired. He wanted to make his own businesses. And and the thing is my friends is someone can have an amazing work ethic. They can have an amazing drive, but their focus may be on the wrong thing, whether that's the wrong industry, whether that's the wrong friend group, whether that's the wrong um, job. And so what I want, what I want to highlight here to celebrate my brother is he worked his butt off. He was a hard worker. He got things done. He loved labor jobs. And so it was, it would be really important to harness that focus and put it into something that's empowering, something that makes them feel worthy, something that makes them feel like they're giving and they're doing and they're serving because that will lead to contribution and fulfillment. Maybe my brother was seeking fulfillment. Maybe he was seeking happiness and he thought that doing this was the right way. So if we can harness someone's strengths and their unique abilities, whether it's their work ethic, their drive, and we can push them and focus on the right thing, 
life would be totally different, right? But sometimes that our focus is off. And so I just want you to be very aware of how powerful focus is. Also, what are we doing after we become sober? What are we doing after we become sober? What is the work that we're putting in? It doesn't stop once you're sober. Now it's time to master our, in, our internal world. Because if you can master your internal world, the external world won't affect you because you're too powerful. And so when it comes back to you know getting sober, what is the work we're doing? Are we reading books? Are we finding the right mentors? Are we helping these people find the right mentors and the right curriculums to educate their brain and get their brain focused on personal development rather than going back to whatever they're going back to? And so the journey of getting sober extremely important. But I think once you're sober, the very actions that you put in place afterwards are even more important. You know what, that you have said a word right there. And I see people are commenting, you know, for thanking you for sharing your story. But you said that, you know, that mindset and what you do after you're sober, it's so critical. And right now, you know, many of us were dealing with COVID isolation and stress and all of those things are triggers for relapse. So we know a lot of people are vulnerable right now who are may find themselves in recovery, but mindset and dealing with, you know, resiliency in the face of adversity is something that you preach, something that you talk about. Because when I look at you as someone who's had so many challenges in your life, and even doctors said you wouldn't walk or you wouldn't be able to feed yourself or you wouldn't be able to do all of the things that you have done, even going on to be a bodybuilder. I seen your body, go ahead, get it all. <laughs> even being able to, you know, do all of those things. How do you maintain that resiliency when sometimes you look in the mirror or you're going through things and you see something that doesn't fit that? Yeah, absolutely. What I've been very good at doing is one, creating a compelling vision for my life, which pulls me. And second, I'm very clear on what I want. And when we're clear on what we want, we get there faster. And so I just want to touch on this because it's extremely important. There's two forms of motivation in life. There's push and there's pull. Those that are watching right now, there's probably been a moment in your life, maybe right now that you've been pushing, pushing towards your business, pushing towards financial freedom, pushing towards relationships, and you got burnt out. Why is that? Because you can only push so long in life. But when you have a pull, and when I mean about a pull, I mean, what does your compelling vision look like for your life? What do you want to do with that money? What do you want to, do you want to have kids? Do you want to have a house? Do you want to have relationships? Do you want to take your parents to Italy? Do you want to retire your parents in real estate? Creating a compelling vision for your life and getting really clear in it will, will, will create a pull in your life. Mm. And that pull, you can pull all day, baby. When you're, when you're down, that thing will pull you out of bed. When you're low, it'll pull you out of that negative energy. When you're tired, it'll pull you out of those times. And so for me, not only do I have a compelling vision for my life, but I have an ultimate driving force. The ultimate driving force that drives me into doing what I do every day. And I've, I've, I've simplified it into one sentence. Give my parents a life like they gave for me. Mm. That's my driving force. And so when I, because the bottom line is most people, they go through life and they don't know why. Ask them, be like, hey, why do you go to work? They'll say, because I have to. No, there's a deeper reason. Wow. And when, you can, when you can obtain that deeper reason, whether it's financial freedom, deeper, meaningful relationships, um, experiences, then you have something to look forward to. But not many people have a compelling vision for their life. But that's okay, because right now we can create one. Yeah, like you said, when you had that compelling vision that even though you saw obstacles and you wanted to, I'm sure there were times, Nick, and I don't know if you can be 
real deep and personal about this, that you may said, gosh, I want to just sit down or can I really do this? But like you said, not just pushing, 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 but having that pull, that anchor made you say, get up, keep going. Do you remember times where you felt like you couldn't do that and you had to tap into that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, when I became a wrestler because of my brother and I want to keep it honoring my brother, when I became a wrestler, um, be actually before I came a wrestler, people were like, you can't become a wrestler. You have no legs, one arm. You'll never be an athlete. You'll never be a wrestler. Like, who are you kidding? And one of the biggest mistakes that you can do in life is share your goals and ambitions and your business plan with someone who's closed minded. I want everyone to write that down. If you just do this, if you don't share your business plan with closed minded people this year, you have an amazing life and you have an amazing year because they'll cast their limiting beliefs and their negativity on you and you'll end up doubting yourself. And so um, I was doubted when I wanted to become a wrestler. I amputated my arm, five inches on my arm off to wrestle, and I became a wrestler and a varsity wrestler. People doubted me when I wanted to become a bodybuilder because no man with no legs and one arm was ever crazy enough to say, I'm going to become a bodybuilder. And I did that. Um, you know, people doubted me when I came into this, the personal development arena, becoming a business strategist. He's 21. He's 24. No business experience. But I proved them wrong. And how I did was I realized that the outside noise can either affect me or drive me. And in my life, I always choose to let that fuel me rather than sink me. And so harness it, harness the trash talking, harness the haters. When people say you ain't going to stay sober, be like, damn sure I'm going to stay sober. Keep, keep feeding me. Rather than letting that sink you, go ahead and say, all right, keep feeding me because that's fuel to my fire. And I'm going to prove you wrong. One of the very reasons why I'm so successful is because I had a chip on my shoulder from the doctors. You ain't gonna, mm. like you said, you ain't gonna walk, you ain't gonna be independent, you can't have kids, you'll never be financially dependent. Where are those doctors now? They probably didn't last, you know, outlive my life. You said I was gonna pass away, here I am. And so realize that the haters, the naysayers, and the outside noise isn't going away, but it's how you harness it. That's so good because so many people can, you know, look at where they are and people, like you said, saying, hey, you're not gonna stay sober or you've done these bad things during, you know, times when you were in the throes of addiction, how can you come back from that? You know, and I love what you said, just about harnessing the power and tapping into what pulled you. Why are you doing this? Tapping into that why and letting that motivate you to go to the next level and to keep pushing and to keep pushing. And you know, the thing I like, I would, I'm curious, I would love to talk to those doctors <laughs> to see what they had to say. But you know, what I love about you too, is that I think a lot of times, and this ties into addiction, is that people get labeled in mm. life and they let those labels hold them back. You know, whether that's a label that I'm an addict or a label that, you know, I'm not good enough or whatever that label is, you know, they let that hold me, hold them back. And what I love about your stories, Nick, even though you had hand heart syndrome, even though you had these labels, you said to heck with them, Right. And yeah. so if there was something you would say to someone, even when it comes to labeling themselves and feeling like that has to limit their life and their, their possibilities, what would be your words of wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. From a brother to a brother and a brother to a sister, for those that are listening right now, I want you to write this down. I want you to remember it. Your past doesn't define you. Amen. But the, very, the very actions that you take in this moment do. And I'll give you a great example. Say we're all driving in our car, our car to recovery, and we're constantly looking at the rearview mirror. We're constantly looking in the rearview mirror. What's going to happen? We're going to crash. Looking into your past doesn't really benefit you unless you're extracting learning lessons from the past. If you're going to the past and it's bringing you negative emotions, cut it. 
Start focusing on the present and start focusing on the future. The only time that you should be focusing on the past is to extract the learning lessons. And so your past doesn't define you, but the very actions that you take in this moment do define you. Um, and so that's what I would say. And um, yeah, that, that's my, that's, I want to, I'm going to keep that powerful and short. I was like, just your past doesn't define you. Um, and, and realize that you may not realize this, but I realize it. And I'm going to be that mentor and that guide for you today is you have everything inside of you to achieve everything that you want. You just have to tap into it. And I want you to remember this. It's not a lack of resources in your life. It's a lack of being resourceful and to be fully transparent. And I hope you don't mind, but anyone who's, who's, Anyone who's been addicted is very good at being resourceful. So how about we channel that resourcefulness into empowering things and you'll, and you'll be surprised what your life looks like. Yeah. I mean, like you said, just all that you've been able to do in your life. And I remember in hearing more of your story talking about that for most people, it's a mindset. It's our mindset. Like that is our biggest barrier. Like many people may look at you and say, well, maybe his biggest barrier was that he didn't have an arm or he doesn't have an arm, but that wasn't your biggest barrier. And yeah. maybe somebody's looking at their life right now and is like, my biggest barrier is that I have an addiction, which it does impact their life. But we want them to, I think what's so powerful about what you share is that you didn't let that define you or stop you. Yeah, It, it was all in how you purposed in your mind what you were going to do. What were some things that you did to help you with your mindset as we kind of tap into that? Yeah, great. So, you know, the first thing is if and there's a quote by Nelson Mandela that I love to say, and he says, in life, I don't lose. I only win or learn. But we have to train our brain to win or learn. And how do we do that is, you know, in, in the midst of failures and trials and tribulations or ups and downs, we need to ask ourselves a better question rather than asking ourselves, why is this happening to me? We can ask ourselves, what did I learn from this? And when you constantly ask yourself that magic question of what did I learn from this? You don't lose. You only win or learn. But that's a muscle. Your brain is a muscle. We got to exercise it. If you don't use it, you lose it. And so I would say finding the gift in every situation. Um, and also, like I said, the quality of your life, my friends, comes down to the quality of the questions you ask yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. Most people are asking bad questions. When you ask a bad question to your brain, it's going to give you a bad answer. But when you ask an empowering question, it's going to give you an empowering answer. And so that's really the difference, my friends, between... Someone who's maybe whatever your version of successful is to not successful is they ask better questions and they're always a student of the game. Um, so I would say not only, you know, training your brain to find the gift in every situation, but asking great questions and also filling yourself up with gratitude. And I promise you, gratitude isn't mindset mumbo jumbo unicorns and fairy dust. But if you didn't know this, it's emotionally impossible for you to feel grateful and sad at the same time, grateful and angry, grateful and stressed. The emotion of gratitude outweighs all the negative emotions. And so if you find yourself stressed, full of anxiety, upset, reflect on moments you're grateful for, reflect on moments you're proud of. And the more that you exercise it, the more that you can access those emotions, which will then get you out of that negative space. And there's a little quote from my mentor, Tony, that I'd like to share with you. It's when you're in your head, you're dead. When you're in your heart, you're smart. Humans, we are so much better when we operate from our heart, when we make decisions from our heart, when we, you know, we just do things from our heart because we're in more in sync with our bodies. And so what I would say is become solution oriented, ask better questions. Um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to make it smoother. So what that means is find someone who has the results that you want and model them. Find someone who's been sober for six years and go hang out with them. 
What'd you do right? What'd you do wrong? And what that does is that's going to help you condense decades of knowledge into years because that person has already walked the path and they're going to Yes. Everything you said, Nick, you're frozen on my screen. So I'm not sure if you're frozen from everybody else. So I'm hoping that everybody can still hear you. It could just be my computer, but it looked like you froze there, Nick. But what you said was really, really powerful. I think tonight we just had some very powerful words of wisdom from Nick. I mean, harnessing the power of gratitude you know, really thinking right now, what do you have to be grateful for? Even in the midst of all that you may be struggling with, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of struggling with an addiction or being in recovery, how can we get back to a place of gratitude? And I think that, you know, we, Nick is just, you know, when you think about all that he's been through and you made it back, Nick, you made it back. Sorry. But, you know, when I was just saying that, you know, I just love the messages that you've left with us tonight because they're so, you know, powerful. And so I just wanted to ask a couple, two final questions for you. One, what are you grateful for? Because you talked about finding gratitude. And I know you've gone through a lot in this year. Like you said, you lost your brother in April to an overdose. Um, just a lot. We're all going through COVID and all of that. But what are you finding to be grateful for in this moment in your life? I'm well, first, I'm grateful for opportunities like this, where I'm able to share my story because I know it has the ability to change someone else's life. That's why that's the place that I operate from. You know, so many people are scared to, you know, talk about their deepest and darkest times, but I know that I can help people. So I'm willing to be vulnerable and transparent. Um, and so that's what I'm grateful for an opportunity like this. So thank you so much, everybody tuning in. I'm also grateful, like little things, my friends, the fact that I woke up today, you know, yeah. I got great shoes on, you know, I look good. Now, you know what I'm saying? But I'm grateful for life. I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve. And most importantly, I'm grateful to be on this, to be able to bring people together in a time where we're isolated and we're separated. Because at the end of the day, humans, all humans, we all crave human connection. That's why a lot of people are struggling. And so if you're struggling, find a group. And I mean, find a group of winners, find a group of people who are crushing it, find a group of people that make you look like you're a little person. Because the more you surround yourself with, and I'm not talking about height. I know. I'm <laughs> Uh-oh. Did your sound go off? Did you hear it? Talking about, talking about these things is surround yourself with winners because that's who you will become. Um, and always, always look for, you know, opportunities and networks and resources that can help you get to your goals and get clear on your goals so you can then identify those things. And another thing that I'm grateful for is... The fact that I was there, you know, messaging my brother business advice on his new business right before he passed away, mm. um, you know, that at least I had a conversation with him and I was giving him advice. and He was like, oh, my God, that's such a great idea. Great idea. And he was on the right path. He was starting his own business. He got it all legit, you know, and then sometimes things just happen. And so I'm grateful for all of those things. But most importantly, I'm grateful that I was able to make an impact in my brother's life and and be there um, in which I didn't know some of his last days. Wow. What a way to end that, Nick. You know, I think just being grateful for those moments and you've just shared so much with us tonight. And I think what you said is so true. Just us being willing to share our stories. You know, I think the more people, and that's why we started Addiction Talk because 
We want people to have a place where they can hear stories, where they can share stories. Because when you know you're not alone, oh, that's huge. You know, so thank you. From the bottom of our hearts from American Addiction Center, we truly thank you, Nick, for coming on and sharing your story with us tonight. We wish you all the best and keep sharing your story because it will change lives. And I know it changed some lives tonight. And we just want to say thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, signing out just last words for those that are listening, you're not alone. Um, and the more that you vocalize it, the more that you'll meet people that are going through similar struggles as you. Um, but the, the help is out there. You just going to want it. And um, I'm going to be here every step or every hop of the way. I'll be here with y'all. Yes. And if you're somebody, well, we love you. We thank you so much for joining us. And just to let anyone know who's watching here tonight by Nick. Thank you so much. And just for anybody who's been listening tonight, if you find that you need help or a loved one needs help, you can see the number on the bottom of your screen, um, 866-244-1070. We have people available to talk with you, to walk you through the process of getting someone into treatment. So we just want to let you know that that is available tonight. But we want to thank you for joining us. We hope that you got some insight tonight. We hope that you were inspired tonight. We hope that you know that you're not alone in this and that there is help available and that there are people who care. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode of Addiction Talk. Stay with us on February 17th. We will be back with another guest talking about stories of impact related to addiction. And we're going to say goodbye.